You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Ancient tools and burials, plants and seeds, Neanderthals. All these things we make no apologies. Welcome to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast, episode 44. I'm your host, Sarah, with my co-host, Jeb Card. And today we're talking to Kay Christ Hurst from About.com, the archaeology section. Chris has been doing the about.com section for many years now, and in her time at about.com, she's covered so many topics, it's impossible to cover all of them. Today we talk to her about the ever-changing face of the internet and using the internet to teach archaeology to non-professionals. Get ready to think critically. You will see our staple of archaeology. But we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Sarah, and I am here with Jeb Card. Jeb, how's Hello. it going? Uh, doing all right. And today we have special guest Kay Chris Hurst with us. She writes the about the archaeology section on about.com. Hi, Chris. How's it going? Oh, it's going great. Thanks. Now, you have been writing the about.com archaeology section for how many years now? It'll be 19 in July of 2016. That Just is... Just coming up on 19 years. So that makes about.com actually... Does that make it older than Wikipedia? Oh, it yeah. Is. It is older than Wikipedia. So you are yeah. like the original source of information for this stuff. Um, when we started out, yes. We were called we were called the mining company, as a matter of fact. And I can Oh, I remember that. Yes. I remember vividly when I went to the first conference and gave a paper on the mining company, I had somebody come up to me afterwards and say, So why is a mining company interested in writing about archaeology? Nice. And they're very suspicious. So Well, yeah, they thought you were a mining company, not an actual online. Exactly. Website. But it was it was data mining. We were talking about data mining. So talking about data what, mining back before it was cool. What our original what our original intent was, and this seems hard to believe, was not to produce real content or start content. It was to go find all of the good stuff on the internet. It was like before before Google News, before aggregation. Before Google News, before any of those sorts of things. We were there. We were there in, to intentionally go and find information about our given fields. Um, to, um, you know, present to other people, say, okay, here's what you can find on the internet. So it was before search engines. Yep. We're older than dirt. That's an archaeology joke. <laughs> well, it's, it's about 20 years old. So yeah, it kind of, as far as the internet's concerned, it is older than dirt. It is. Actually, I think they went live in December 1996. So wow. um, I, I started the next March. So and, and that was the year before I graduated high school. So that dates me. <laughs> so <laughs> anyone was wondering... Well, I was only five that year, so just saying. Right, there you go, yeah. I was older than all of you, so. <laughs> so when you very first started working at About, you said that you guys were just kind of, well, you were data mining, basically. So what was your role as the resident archaeologist? Were you the only archaeologist, or were there other ones? Were you working on a team? I was the only archaeologist. Um, they had, uh, right from the get-go, they had everything from, you know, they had a guide for soap operas, they had a guide for urban legends, they had a guide for geography. Actually, it was the geography guide that I was, that really made it interesting to me because I was like, well, I don't want to be a soap opera guide for archaeology. Um, you know, I didn't want to do that, but I saw what the geography guy was doing, which was he was actually doing scientific geography and presenting it on the internet. I was fascinated. I thought it was a really great uh, public archaeology thing to do. Um, not that i am always been a public archaeologist, I think, except by default, but it was a really good way to tell stories about um, archaeology to make it possible. And plus, you know, you couldn't find anything in those days. That's so. true. Yeah. So contrast how it started with where it's at today, because I, I noticed that the sites had a uh, design overhaul, which is very nice. Mm -hmm. I, I do enjoy it. So, oh, good. Since the last time I was even on there, because I get your stuff in my email box, so I don't actually go to about.com that often. It just comes to me. So, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you, how has your role with about changed over the last 19 years? The, the, the best thing, the best thing is it's uh, all about content. It's all about getting quality content in front of people, getting um, um, authoritative, I know you're going to hate that word, but authoritative information about your field of reference into people's um, inboxes, you know, push, pull exactly what the deal is to, um, so I go out and do the research 
Um, I use, um, you know, Google Scholar. I run down to the library, uh, the university library in my town. Um, I use JSTOR. All I of those. I love JSTOR. Oh, I know. Isn't it fabulous? You can get, for 99 bucks, you can get 120 articles. I mean, how cool is that? Anyway, so... <laughs> Anyway, there's a whole slew of, of research that I can do, and I can do it on anything, anything in uh, on archaeology. Nobody sits on my tail and says, you have to write on this particular topic. I can pick my topic. And, you know, archaeology is basically a umbrella a science for almost anything. Yeah. I, I, actually, I don't even think almost is right, because, of course, there's space archaeologists now. So. Yep. <laughs> and and uh, gaming archaeologists. I just ran into one today, and that's... That's a yeah. new fascinating field. I don't know how I feel about it just yet. Isn't that cool stuff? I think that's cool stuff. It is I, cool. I just I'm not sure how I like feel about it as an I've, archaeologist. I've met yeah. some. Of, I've met some of the people that do that stuff, and some of it is very interesting, and some of it I would need to understand it a little better. I agree. Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. I think because the guy I ran into, I have a friend who is studying archaeology as it is presented in games. Yes, and that's very cool. This guy that I ran into, he is an he is an archaeologist. Yes. But he is studying doing archaeology in games. Which there is there are there are several of like the big open world games. Yes. That's that's a major part of it. Yes. And it's a very I've read some of this stuff. It is actually very interesting, though to be fair, given that they're in game worlds, it still gets to sort of questions of representation. And, yeah, and that's yeah. where I'm at with that. I'm like, I don't it's at the end of the day you do have to remind people this doesn't actually exist outside of social construction but it does so, that's well, the pillar of it no it, well it does but it's still somebody socially constructed it at some point and then it kind of develops on its own yeah i, yeah. I have to admit i've been out of that loop but i know that chattahoyuk had a sim right didn't they didn't they have a sim world that they were playing with for a while was that, was about, was that like not, a second life kind of second life it was second life yeah. yes yeah it was cool too i enjoyed the hell out of that Oh, yeah, well, they've they've had a lot of kind of push. I mean, it's a big project with a lot of good support, and they've had a lot of online push. Uh, I just was writing about uh, an exhibit they did with some of the outreach for kids being very mystery focused, uh, oh. and and that kind of fit into some things I'm I'm working on, which also allowed me to write about the Dorak affair. But that's another day. Um, I had a question. So you're talking about you get to write about anything you want. How does that like like walk us through you doing a story you want to do like like what's the process for you? Well, in some cases, I, I'm a journalist. I mean, mm -hmm. I it depends on what day you talk to me, what I do. I say I'm a scientist, journalist. I say I'm an archaeologist. Only I usually blush when I say that, so it's probably not true. I I say I'm a writer. I say I'm an editor. But from a journalistic standpoint, um, I get. Uh, information about uh, on articles that are coming out in the next uh -huh. week. We get a uh -huh. we get a good week usually in some of the, like science and nature and. So you're meaning academic articles? Uh, yes, I'm yes. really interested in academic articles, and so um, so I get about a, a week heads up on whatever the whatever the story is that's coming out. And after being 19 years on this site, I also have a lot of. Start stuff I've already um, written on. For example, um, one of the breaking stories today, I'm sure it's broken already, was on uh, uh, dual uh, domestication of dogs. Oh. Uh, dual site dom domestication of dogs. There's This is something that I've been following for a long time is the domestic domestication of dogs. And today, um, I think it was science. I'm pretty sure it was oh. science. Came out with an article that said um, there are two... Um, we. We've done uh, mtDNA studies on European dogs and Asian dogs, and it turns out that there are indeed two domestication loci. Um, oh. One's in Asia and one's in Europe. Very cool. So, and then, no. so anyway, so that's one of the generations, that's one of the genesis of stories that I get is something that comes up. And secondly, I do a huge amount of reading. I, it's grotesque. Um, since, I, since I started in archaeology late, um, I uh, didn't actually start um, as an archaeologist until I was in my 30s, um, start studying to be an archaeologist until I was in my 30s. And so I had to do an enormous amount of reading. I'm a reading freak anyway. And so I would go to the library every quarter and I would just hit the journals. I'd read all the journals I could find and I would record them. And now I have this huge database because I'm a database geek too, of articles that I've written and collected over the world, over the um, 
entire world of archaeology. Just mm-hmm. I'm a generalist, as I say, I'm a generalist. Yeah, you came out of the IT world, didn't you? Um, uh, gosh, is that the case? Um, I don't know how. I think I, I think I was. I'm well. pulling up your bio here. So. Oh, okay. I have done IT stuff, right? As a matter of fact, my day job is education. I'm sorry, you're coming out of the education world, aren't you? Kind of. I mean, I never taught. You know what I mean? I mean, I did a lot of different things. It was like one of those kinds of people who wander around trying to find, you know, when I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a writer. That's what I said. I want to be a writer. And they said, well, what do you want to write about? And I could not figure it out. (laughs) So I spent the next 20 years looking for something to write about. And then when I was 30, I ran across archaeology and um, everything fell out from there. So, but I do have IT background. Um, I'm a big, um, one of the things that, uh, uh, I, I mean, I took Cobol when I was in college. Oh, awful, this <laughs> awful, to didn't have to say. And um, I was really inter- data, interested in database. Of course, as an archaeologist, you have to do data. You have millions of little pieces of data uh, that you have to make sense of, right? Right. And, and data mining is not dissimilar to, no. uh, to that. That's actually is data mining. You know, how you've got vast amounts of data that you want to go in and pull out and find information on. And that's what I really love to do, whether it's a, a journal article that um, or a set of journal articles on a particular topic or um, a set of, um, you know, lithic artifacts or you know whatever whatever sorts of things that i'm studying is just one of the things i like to do is go in and make sense find the well, pattern it's, it's really great that you sense. mentioned that you've got like a whole backdrop or a whole uh kind of treasure cache of articles on stuff so you're like when something new comes up you've got stuff ready to go and that's awesome and it actually makes me think of something that happened today um you may have seen the news today that there was some article that came out there, where there was uh, elemental composition done on the iron knife in the tomb of Tutankhamun, and that it was in fact meteoric iron. And I saw this all over my Facebook. And you, I, I, what I'm going to ask you is basically how my attitude about what I'm about to say is terrible. But please, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, th- this story came out, and it, and it was like all over. It was like trending on Facebook and trending on on Twitter. It's like extraterrestrial meteoric iron in the tomb of Tutankhamun. There's nothing wrong with the article. The article's fine research. No, but I already have a problem with that title. Well, the biggest problem with it for me was we knew this. Now, they went and, like, proved it, and they gave all the chemical composition. But I I teach my students every semester about the meteoric iron dagger into Ankamun's tomb because it was people had sort of eyeballed and gone, oh, that's what this thing is. I mean, they had sort of figured it out in other ways. And my immediate reaction, this is why I'm saying like, oh, this is a terrible way to go, was we already bloody well know that. Why is everybody freaking out? Like, you know, oh, do we not exist? But I suspect my attitude should probably be slightly more positive on this. Well, um, part of it is that's definitely been overhyped. You have to. um, I also took journalism when I was in high in college and uh, we used to call it crap detecting. uh, which is was hard. that crack or was that a different word? It was a different word. Okay. You can say crack. Yeah. It's okay. I just wanted to. Be, I just wanted to be clear. I no, say, have you have you heard Ken's mouth? You're. Fine. Oh yeah. He... No, I haven't, but I, I'm a big fan. So. He. You know. uh, I don't know how many sailors are in his in his like genetic lineage, but there's got to be quite a few. All of them. All of them. All of them. <laughs> Possibly all. But anyway, so anyway, uh, anyway crap, so, crap detection. So crap detection, and one of the things that you learn as a as a you get burned really easily as a journalist. If you're uh-huh. sticking your nose out there, you need to you need to develop a sense of, you know, what's what's likely to come down the pike that's good. I'm I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna get myself in trouble, so I'm not gonna mention which country it is. And this is gonna be in a couple of months anyway, so it's not that big of a deal. Uh, so there was a story this week that um, was published and made a little bit of little bit of news but there wasn't a lot of a little bit of news it was like a politicized it was politicized one of the things that you recognize and I'm sure you do too is that in a lot of countries in ours is not exempt from this a lot of countries there is uh, a, a willingness to embrace um, Archaeology, cultural references as a way to own real estate, let's say. 
you know, yeah. you know, you say you this country is maybe occupying a park that it didn't use to own and now it wants to claim ownership. And so it will hype up a story in archaeology to make it more important than it really is. And so there's a way. Did I say that fuzzily enough to not know? Probably. No, it's, it's nationalist archaeology. <laughs> yeah, it's nationalist. nationalist yeah. Exactly. It's nationalist archaeology, and it's in every single country in the world. You spot it all the time. You spot it all the time. So you just have to pay attention to that kind of stuff and make sure that you're not feeding the beast. Well, and archaeology, I don't. This is part of the nationalism thing. I don't like when people try to use archaeology as a way of staking a claim on land. Because in yeah. order to do that, you're ignoring, well, the people that live there, which is wrong. And right. You're also reifying the nation, which was probably formed in the 19th century. Exactly. Right. But it's, it's not a legitimate way to claim something. It's just because there's, just because there's archaeology there doesn't mean squat. It's the argument I have with a lot of the um, uh, hyper-diffusionists or the early European settlers in America people. They're like, yeah. oh, well, there were Celts here. And it's like, yeah. so? Vikings, like, Vikings, let's, Vikings, let's pretend Vikings. for a minute that St. Brennan really did get here and he really did have a Celtic monastery up in wherever. <laughs> so? That doesn't stop the fact that there are Native Americans who were here before St. Brennan and... St. Brennan was obviously dead before we got here as Colum you know, with the, the Mayflower and all that shit. So yeah. what what does it change? That Are we afraid that the Celtic nations are going to now come over and, you know, 400 years after the forming of this continent as a white people haven, they're going to be like, oh, it's ours now. <laughs> I mean, is that what we think's going to happen? Uh, who knows? It's like it doesn't matter. Just it's a very bad way to lay a claim to an area of land these days. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Sorry, that so was there's... my rant. No, no, that's okay. It's a good rant. It was a good rant because I was ranting on another thing. That's I mean, right. there are a lot of things you have to just you, have to, you just have to keep yourself uh, pulled out of the story. Do you yeah. have to know where to go do the research to find out what the well my big my big problem with this article was not you know the the actual science is not bad it's just a confirmation of something we knew but i think my my reaction was just people freaking out about this it's like you you do know and like, like people, this was this was probably already it was already very well known like i have pictures of it in things i've been showing people for years people uh, yeah. on the internet have a very short memory <laughs> the, no, I'm serious. They do. They have a very right. short memory, especially with things like Facebook feeds and Twitter feeds, which are the two most popular ways people get their news these days. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a thing. But the problem is, is like on Twitter, your tweet has a lifespan of like 10 seconds, 15 if you're popular and it gets retweeted a bunch. And yeah. On Facebook, if you don't post at the right time of the day, you probably won't get seen, even in the people who follow you's feeds. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of tiresome to us to see things that we already know get posted again and again and again, even like two to three years later. But the reality of it is, is if these things don't pop up regularly, people forget Oh, I think the other thing here is that one of the core sort of values for most people of archaeology is this concept of newness and mystery and discovery. And mm -hmm. frankly, I, I think one of the reasons that we often end up getting uh, rejected in favor of other ways of going about this is because like, well, we already know a thing rather than it being, oh, this thing was just found. But well, and that's why everybody gets off gets a kick out of seeing an article again because it's new to them speaking and, of and which kind of, and i think that's kind of good actually yeah. i think that's i think that's in some respects i think that's kind of good because what you want to you know that that part of your audience is going to be people who are new to almost everything that you write about right and i actually have to be careful i, I find myself t talking to um the choir basically i'll i'll forget you know uh, oh, I heard I heard you do this in a in a previous podcast. As a matter of fact, when somebody uses a jargon term, you want them not to use the jargon term. So I do that all the time. But I mean, that part of the thing is that as a as a public archaeologist, which you know, like I say, I'm not. Um, you have to you want to reach people who've never been reached before. Yeah. And what what that even if that 
uh, situation might be a little um, fraught, might be a little uh, oddball, uh, sometimes you have to use it or you'd like to use it. So before we go, we've got five minutes before we go to break, and I wanted to talk to you about this because you're one of the few people I've had on this show who use the internet and use social media as a way of communicating with the public about archaeology. So how do you how do you use those tools and how do you feel about using those tools? Well, it's really funny because it's really changed. I, it's really changed over the last um, about year. It's changed over the last year because up until last year, I pretty much ignored social media. I mean, really? I, I had I have a Twitter account. I, um, it's been around so long that my uh, Twitter name is Archaeology. Nice. Very I mean, well I was, done. I was really stunned. I filled out the form and I had no trouble getting archaeology. Archaeology was, oh, sure, take it. So, you know, it was that long ago. But I haven't really, and Facebook, you know, I, I remember having a discussion with Anita Cohen-Williams. I don't know if you know her. And about how cause she was really enthusiastic about about Twitter. And I was like, oh, come on. Who wants to know about what I'm drinking for coffee? And um, <laughs> but, you know, we had this. It's really morphed for me. And so I got back into for some reason, I wanted to get back into being not just um, I know what it is. I, you know, in um, oh, this is a long story. I, in 2008, the economy fell at the bottom and I had to, at that time I was a freelance writer and I did nothing but archeology, span but not in the field. I retired in the field in 2005. And so in 2008, I was a freelance, happy freelance writer, yay me. And then the bottom <laughs> fell out of the economy and I had to go get a job. And so slowly I started the, my ability, a day job. And I was really lucky to find one. I found another one this summer. I mean, it's just been amazing to me that I can still find jobs that are not in archaeology that I really love to do. That's good. And um, it is good. But I, as over the last couple of years, I've been pulling farther and farther away. I don't have time to go to conferences anymore. I hardly ever talk to archaeologists unless they actually read my email and say, oh, sure, I'd love to talk to you about this and so. Um, so I pull myself away from that. And so I wanted to really plunge back into to find out what people were doing. I didn't even know, and I'm sorry about this, Sarah, I did not know you had a podcast. Well, sorry. in all fairness, the podcast is not quite two years old, so it, it's oh. forgivable. It's, it's okay. okay. But you, you so let I'm, me interview you for my blog, so that's I'm cool with that. Oh, okay. So, so anyway, I, um, I, really wanted to, I really wanted to go back and find out what other people are doing. And I used, I totally admit that I used Doug... Um, Doug, oh gosh, I've lost his name. Oh, I know who you're talking about too. Doug's archaeology page. Yes. Um, Doug McQueen, Doug Rock McQueen. Yes. I used. He has this huge list of current blogs, and I just went in and I looked at everybody's blog that was in there, and then I just started finding ones that I wanted to find. What I wanted, you know, for a while I tried just posting news stories like everybody does. And I thought, well, nobody needs to see those again because they're everywhere. But what I wanted to find was I wanted to find people who are writing about archaeology, archaeologists who are saying, this is my site. Isn't this interesting? Or, um, you know, I mean, there's theorists, theorists who are out there. This is a... a oh, yeah, the theorists. And there's a whole slew of them. And there's you guys. You know, there's a whole bunch of different ideas that are out there that I was not aware of. And so for my own education entertainment and to um, pass that on to as many people as I could get to listen to me is uh, how I'm using social media now is to get that interesting get a wider reading I don't know if it's wider but getting I want people to read about archaeology and and learn about archaeology I guess that's what I really want to do I want to write stuff and I want to point up other people's writings so yeah I know I understand you're like trying to use it as a way to educate as opposed to a way to misinform Exactly. That, that is actually exactly it. I, I completely feel you there. I really do. So let's go to a break real quick. And when we come back, we'll start talking about your actual about page. Kim Biddulph explores the books set in our prehistoric past on Prehistories, an innovative and creative show. Kim investigates the archaeology and anthropology behind your favorite stories by bringing on guests that are experts in the field and that can speak to the actual story behind the story. Check out the show at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash prehistories. Now let's get back to the show. 
are back and we are still talking with Chris Hurst and let's talk about the about page. Um, as we established, it's basically the oldest uh, information page on the internet uh, about archaeology, basically. It predates Wikipedia, people. There was something before Wikipedia <laughs> and it wasn't books. <laughs> so I was looking at some of your more recent headlines uh, just on the page just to kind of get a feel for things. And I noticed that you're kind of on a, a Mayan and an Aztec bend right now. Or at least it seems to be that way. Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess I did get on an Aztec. I think the funny thing is I, um, the, if I was, there was, I had two archaeology, um, two archaeology directions I could have gone. And one of them was I was going to do shell tool, shell tools. Which oh, is that would be cool. Funny. But I was really into it for a while. And the other one was I was going to work in Mesoamerica as an Aztec specialist. So every so often I go crazy for Aztecs and, and I love Maya. Maya are really interesting, I think. The Maya are really interesting and you know, but but I'm a generalist and so I really like to do write about just about anything. Yeah, there's a bunch of other stuff on here. I just I noticed that a lot of the articles were currently like, should we call it the Mayan civilization or the Maya civilization? Maya. <laughs> I was going to ask you that, too. And the whole uh, why we shouldn't call Aztecs Aztecs, I think that was the title. Right, right. Well, um, in some respects, the funny thing is um, I, I'm also big in languages. I mean, I'm not any good at languages. I speak really terrible Spanish and um, French. Both are bad, very bad. But I'm really interested in linguistics. And um, I've always been, I, I think that's true about a lot of archaeologists. And so language differences um, really, really appeal to me. You know, it's sort of, um, you know, I would love to be able to speak better languages because it seems to me that one of the things that we lack as Americans um, is the ability or as archaeologists, you know, as an archaeologist, you want to be able to understand other people. I know that's crazy. You know, that's crazy. You know, <laughs> we're never going to understand people in the past. We're never going to understand other other mindsets that are long dead, let alone our next door neighbor. But it always seems to me that linguistics is a way in. Linguistics, if you see the structure of a language is sort of, you know, it's hardwired in us. Linguistics are hardwired into each of us. And so the fact that the patterns are different, I've, I don't know. I'm into patterns. So, no, that's cool. so I'm, I'm interested in that kind of stuff. Well, and I and I, I have to admit, I mean, one of the big things that's always been attractive to me about some of the, the choices I've made, I mean, I wanted to do various kinds of archaeology, and then I ran into uh, my archaeology in, in college specifically because uh, when I was in college was not at the beginnings of the the great decipherment, but kind of when it was really hitting its height, uh, Forest of Kings had just come out. These are the, these first major synthetic historical books that are and works that are actually taken into consideration. We could now read my hieroglyphs, and that was it for me. Like I took my hieroglyphs, all these sorts of things. And while that's not my main work, it is actually one of the things I, I am doing to some degree. And yeah, I I have actually occasionally been a little snooty about some archaeologists who don't learn. Uh, a language where they work, or alternatively, work in a literate society and don't not necessarily are that interested in it. I mean, I think sometimes some departments, like if you go into like the classical Mediterranean, they're like, you need to know six different versions of Dead Greek before you before you apply to grad school here. Blah blah blah. So I can go a little too far the other way, and I'm I'm exaggerating though, not as much as you might think. I was say, but not yeah, not by much. Um, but uh, but no, I actually think I mean, and first of all, that's a, there's a big history of that in archaeology. I mean, there was a lot of philology and and even antiquarianism that. But no, I think that's there's less of that, and especially in certain archaeological traditions. But no, I I totally get that. I I enjoy the language aspect of it too. But I, like you said, I think if you're going into an incredibly specialized field, you should probably learn the language. If you're going to stick with it and be a generalist. Eh, you may want to pick up on like a couple key terms and then just kind of leave it at that. Yeah. Because yeah. there's just a lot of languages out there. I do like on about on, on your page how you also focus on uh, the evolution of agriculture and the archaeology of okay. food and all that. I That is my little side project that I really like. Oh, totally, totally. I could write about domestication of plants and animals till the cows come home. Isn't uh, it just bizarre, though? If somebody had told you that as a kid, you probably would not have believed them. 
<laughs> well, my students find it interesting. You wouldn't think they would. And, and actually, the plants they find, they find less interesting, but they find it more than you'd think because it's, it's relatable. Yeah. It's food they eat. And especially once we get to the Americas, when I'm talking about wheat and lentils, it's one thing. But when the Americas, it's so easy to go, you know, tomatoes and chiles and peanuts and all these things that, they, you know, chocolate that they actually care about. <laughs> and, 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 and then, I mean, one of my one of my great advantages when I finally realized, oh, wait, if I put lots of pictures of like cute animals on the screen, all of a sudden they'll give a crap. Uh, you know, I, I've even figured out how to teach about chinampas, the raised fields of central Mexico, oh, because yeah. there's those those cute little axolotl amphibians, which unfortunately seem to be extinct in the wild there. Um, but they are like the smiliest amphibians in the world, if you Google this. Uh, <laughs> and, and they live in that. And that just immediately just, you know, gets their attention uh, if I put this up there. So. Well, I noticed on Chris's page she's got like – this is just the very front page too. It's you know the first series of articles that pop up. You've got when the olive was domesticated, uh, the the botanical source of cocaine. Uh, you're talking about ancient Chinese purple. You've got the pearl millets. Uh, what else was up here? Come on, come on. Yeah, just all kinds of. And then just that's just the first page. Oh, the barley. That's a yeah, lot of food. Really, it's really cool. Barley's really cool. Well, it's I'm just greedy. You know, I just want to know about everything. And I think that's great. Everything, everything fascinates me. You know, except except what Ken Fader does, <laughs> because I don't want to do. I don't want to. Do, or you guys do. And I'm really glad that you that the, the you know the debunker the whole debunker thing does not interest me at all. I well, just that was to, that was actually the question I wanted to ask you. I was going to say, okay. Jay. Yeah. Um, you say it doesn't interest you. And you actually had mentioned that in the the interview you had done earlier with uh, with Sarah. But is it a matter of it doesn't interest you, or is it a matter of you don't think it should be done? Because I there are so many oh, archaeologists I've run into who are like, don't bring it up, don't talk about it. It will go away because that there's yeah. clearly data that shows that's bullshit. you know. <laughs> to me, no, I totally, I totally don't have a problem with people talking about it. And I don't have any problem with that at all. I just, it just, it's just so. Doesn't, just doesn't yeah. turn your crank. You're like, I'm not interested in this. I'm. It's, it's kind of like Paleolithic archaeology. It's fascinating. I would never want to do it. It's to me, to me, it's kind of futile. You know what I mean? Okay. I, I've had, I've had arguments with people that go nowhere. You know, it's like politics. You can, <laughs> you can argue until you're blue in the face. There's no way they're buying you know, evolution. There's just some people, creationism is in their blood. They have an idea of what truth is. And by God, you're never going to convince them. And, you know, I, I hit a wall. I hit a wall. I was like, I don't want to waste time doing this over and over and over again. Well, we've I, talked about so that. On many, there's so many great stories to tell about plant domestication and pigments ancient pigments and migration of people and all of these great great stories in archaeology that's what i want to do that's what i want to do i'm for that that's a big topic that we've been dealing with because i i don't disagree first off if somebody's coming at you at that that sort of like i believe this that and the other yeah that's not that's not going to end well at all honestly um and 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 the fact that you're like, we need to tell our own stories. I absolutely agree. I think the thing that I think we think is really important about this is that in order to tell our own stories, get anybody to listen, we do have to grapple with these other things because that's frankly where a lot of people's attention and especially not people who are deep in died to it, like right. deep died in the wool into it are. And I think that's why it's really important. And actually the thing that we've been arguing uh, this be this became like the big argument in in the edited volume that we put together from the 2012 SAA meeting uh, was we have to tell our own stories because just reacting to the ones that are out there is it does have a certain nihilistic element to it. <laughs> That's the perfect it, word. When when you were talking about the list of who puts their who puts their theory out there and who puts their archaeology out there and so forth and. There's quite a few people who don't, and of course the reason is – I mean, look, I'm not going to make a dime or I, I don't guarantee. I will unlikely make an actual direct dime from that volume. That's not how it works in academic publishing. What I will make is a publication. Uh, and, and you'll have and, something and, to your name that people will cite in the Which I papers. can then use for my own capital, for my own career capital. And this is something I think a lot of people on the fringe have no conception of whatsoever. Mm -hmm. um, but the, I think the problem is, is at some point, like I, 
I have had various blogs. We've actually talked to a few of them here. One thing I, I almost I found almost immediately I had a very hard time with was blogging about archaeology because at some point it clicked in my head. It's like, hey, you know, if you're going to spend all this time doing this to the level of professionalization and not just kind of like I'm talking about news and whatnot, why are you doing it here? Well, Rather and, than, and I and we've talked about this, and I think yeah. Chris, I think Chris's about page is a perfect example. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. casual; people right. can get to it, but it's always there. Uh, if I can cite it, because about.com can be taken as a reliable source, you know, as reliable as anything else mm-hmm. on the internet, and I don't have to be an academic or trained in archaeology to understand it. That's yeah. the that's the wall. That's why I think more people need to blog or Facebook or what the hell ever about what they do in archaeology more because we have created a wall around ourselves that we keep talking about breaking down, but when it comes down to it, we don't. You know, you know what I really like to see, what I really like to see because um, and, and I understand what you're saying, Jeb, I really do, um, because you got to get tenure. And I, I can speak from a person who isn't in academics and have friends who are in academics and are suffering greatly because of the whole deal. Yeah. But what I like to see, what I like to see is people actually talking about their findings, because a lot of a lot of the scientific journals, a lot of the academic journals are interested more in the process. And I think, you know, like you're going to find a new way to do this, thus and so, you know, it's a new scientific way to do, figure out this. And the punchline is always, this needs to be tested. And we've got this is hypothesis to be tested in the future. And the, the problem, one of the things I think is really hilarious, I don't know why this is, a friend of mine was talking to me about this and she said, or an acquaintance, she said, um, you know, we took our student, I took my students to a museum of archaeology, you know, and they had all these different displays on different parts of the past. And after they came out, I asked them what they learned about archaeology, and they said nothing. And that was because what they were thinking of as archaeology is um, digging. How do you dig? Methods. It's a methods. It's techniques, sets, sets of things. So, and I think a lot of our academic documents, a lot of our public archaeology uh, processes are about methods. We're about how do you dig? Where would you go? Um, what's it like to be an archaeologist? I mean, not that that isn't valuable. Don't don't get me wrong. But we are out in the field, or at least I used to be out in the field, to gather information about a culture. That I mean, bottom line, that is, I mean, maybe that's not what a hypothesis is, but in the bottom line is, yes, it is. We're out there to find out what we can about a particular culture. And so I always felt like I'm not in a position to say this, but I like it. When people say, I was in Qatar, I was in England, and I found this. I found this hill fort in Germany, and here's what we found. We found that the people were making beer in their backyard. And the reason we know this is because this, that, and the other thing. And then you set it within the context. You say, um, during the Iron Age, there were uh, small communities that were warring with each other or trading with one, one another in the Mediterranean basin. Things like that are the things that really trip my trigger about archaeology, not so much the methods. So and that's my rant. That's my well, rant. Well, today. well I, w- I, would, I would agree. I mean, what, I actually had to go to my, my chair at one point. And we, we didn't, not had to, but I, I was talking to the chair of my department at one point, And we were talking about... I was just like, look, you know, if there can be a small fund to basically buy a bunch of used, actually not that expensive, older books um, on, you know, uh, wherever online, Amazon, you know, used, whatever, things like that. Because um, I have to, I, we have a museum, a former museum collection. I work with my students hands on. I want to be able to identify things. And I'm like, you know, there's a certain phenomenon where so many things that come out of presses these days are. Oh, look at my new innovative, not usually methodological, but theoretical perspective that I, because this is, of course, basically the, the skeleton of what I did for my dissertation, which I've now turned into a book, and I had to prove to somebody I knew what I was talking about because it was part of my educational process. What did I find? Not really interesting. That's in an appendix in the doctorate, which is not even here, but <laughs> hey, let me like wax poetic on my literature review for like 40 pages, and that'll be what yeah. makes it into the book that proves that they're a 
competent scholarly archaeologist. And meanwhile, my students are going, yeah, but I don't know what this potter with this squiggle is. And I have to find a place. Whereas if I find something from, you know, uh, a report from 50, 60 years ago, they're like, oh, look, here's 60 different kinds of this, that, and the other that gets mm. cited but doesn't ever get published these days. And there, no, there has been a shift. And that largely has to do with elements of labor and removal of state funding in many ways uh, for, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't have any, I don't have any, I can't cast any stones on anybody for, you know, trying to, and it, it's useful stuff. I mean, let's face it, methods are important. Um, theoretical underpinnings are important. My God, um, I, I'm embarrassed to go into public, to public archaeology sessions because I don't even have a clue. I haven't even read Cornelius Holtarf recently. I had an argument with him a few years ago, but you know, I mean, I, I just don't I you know, I just don't read up on that stuff. So I and I and it needs to be said. There's stuff that we you know, I need to be pointed out that I'm that we're doing thus and so that, you know, we need extra uh, additional um, information concerning the nuances of the things that we do, the things that we say. I mean, I'm out there saying a whole lot, and um, to not actually understand the entire uh, corpus of theoretical uh, uh, understandings of anthropology. I mean, it's been so long since I've taken an anthropology course of, you know, um, all of those sorts of things are very, very important to say, but that's not what trips my trigger. You know, it's not, you know, I just want to be able to tell, I'd like to tell people about what we've learned about the past. And I think that's, that's great because like you're saying, methodology is awesome, but there's only a certain number of people out in the world who really want to know the nitty gritty. They want to know what we found, what it means. Well, you're talking about different audiences. There are different audiences. And I think the, the audiences that Chris reaches out to and that I try to reach out to is what I call the lay public. And, and they want to know what's there. They want to know what's there and they want to know quick and dirty why we know it. They don't want me to tell them about, they want to know what the magnetometer is, but they don't want to know everything else about it. Exactly. Like they don't, exactly. They don't want to know about the ions and the quirks and the, the magnet of the earth and blah. You know, I mean, some people do, and and you can find that stuff. Yeah. The the wonderful thing about the internet, and um, and that's the thing that I I, you know, back in the twenty years ago when we got started on this sort of stuff, we really were the only game in town, and now anybody can say anything. You know, you don't have to feel like you're being the only authority on any given topic. Right, it's, and that simplicity that simplicity that you're advocating for is another reason why so many people are invested in fringe ideas and fringe archaeology and, and mm -hmm. cult science and that because they don't go into their methodology because they don't realize they have to have it. And right. they just say, this A is B and it's B because I said so. And with yeah. that air of authority, people just kind of fall over themselves for that. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. Okay, let's go to a break real quick, and when we come back, uh, Chris, we have to talk about debunking and, and that thing that you don't want to talk about. <laughs> Deal. Okay. <laughs> the Archaeotech Podcast, hosted by Chris Webby Webster and Chris Boone Sims, is a show dedicated to the technology of the modern archaeologist. On the Archaeotech Podcast, we interview people using interesting tech, and we dig into the issues, advantages, and try to uncover the disadvantages of the digital age and going paperless. We all know there is no paper in the future, or should we say, paper has no future. Check out the show at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeotech. Let's get back to the show. And we are back, and we are talking with Chris Hurstill, and I know you said that debunking doesn't trip your trigger, but... I actually view you as a very uh, valuable resource in the aspect of debunking because you write about topics that people in the fringe like to use as evidence for their views, but you mm -hmm. write about them factually and you write about them clearly. So even though you're not like I would do where I would be like, and then the fringe said this, you put facts out there that are accessible and that in its own right i think is an excellent way to debunk a lot of the fringe arguments out there 
Well, it's interesting that you say that because I often feel sneaky. I feel like I have an agenda and the agenda is uh, to don't, do that. Don't tell them about the archaeology agenda. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't really have an agenda. But, you know, because I like to do that. I like I liked knowing that, I, you know, there are ideas out there that we have a rational, a rational explanation for. And I like to just say, okay, you know, matter of factly, here's the rational explanation that we've come with. Take it or leave it. And so, um, and I really, I like, that's, I keep doing it. I keep doing this job because I just love it. You know, after, even after 19 years, I still love it. It's just such fun. Now, I know you said that you don't focus on it, but when you very first started off with this and maybe somewhat into the future now, do you deal with people who are, did you early on try to deal with people who were trying to sell fringe and pseudo-archaeology concepts? And do you still do it now when they email you? Because I am assuming they do. Um, they do. Um, uh, you know, um, gosh, uh, I did, I did used to, uh, I used to fight the big, the, the good fat battle I did. Um, but it just, it's just tiresome. You know, after 20 years, it's just tiresome. And after two or three years, it was just tiresome. Same questions would come up the same, yeah. same answers, you know, the same ill un, unanswerable logic, you know, there's no logic to some of these arguments and there's no point in, you know, primarily I don't, primarily I don't interact with um, people like that. I mean, I'll still get emails, but I, you know, I've written stuff like on, um, I wrote a, a, there was this really great story about Vikings in Wisconsin. It's a hilarious, hilarious story that I learned when I was in graduate school there. <laughs> and um, it's this very funny story. There's like, um, horses somebody found a horse skull in a mound oh yes do you know that story i know what you're talking about but go ahead and tell it it was hilarious i mean okay here's the story uh there's a, a mound in it's um um it's not mississippian but it's mississippian age i can't remember woodland period mound yeah in northern wisconsin and there was a skull found in it a horse skull found in it yeah and so um they're really hard pressed to push it and these are hard press i mean they had to print it you know they wrote this they wrote the um manuscript and they published it it's got a horse head in it and um the original you know in archaeology it starts out as a paper and then it becomes a monograph and then eventually it turns into a real book <laughs> well somewhere in that um in that large uh what's the word you want to use anyway somewhere in that middle of that process um there was a there was a kid who came to the main archaeologist's office. He was like, an, uh, he was not a kid any longer. He was in his 30s and he was in a different profession. He wasn't in archaeology, but he had got his hands on, it's, I think it's called the Spencer Lake Mound up in northern Wisconsin. Yeah, it it is. Right. Sarah actually has from July 31st, 2013, where the Vikings weren't, <laughs> Wisconsin Viking horse skull. She's citing you uh, oh, okay. on this. It's a great story. It's a great this story. Is so so this meta. This kid shows up in his office, not a kid any longer, but he confesses. He confesses to the archaeologist in charge that what he'd done, he and a pal had been uh, screwing around up in Spencer Lake Mound, and he'd buried a horse skull in it. And it, this was in the 20s. Right. So it wasn't like, you know, we weren't really good at soil science at that point in time. I mean, it wasn't a thing that you would recognize. If you were digging a mound 10 years later, we'd re necessarily recognize that it wasn't, you know, I mean, it's perfectly res responsible and everything. Right. Here, but, here's, the, here's the quote. The boys dug a sizable hole, consuming the better part of a hot afternoon without encountering any kind of a recognizable feature. They were about to backfill the opening, but one of them suggested that they bury a horse's skull that lay along the edge of a nearby field a short distance away. This seemed like a brilliant suggestion to the undisciplined minds of the boys, so the skull was retrieved and carefully laid in an oriented position at the bottom of the excavation before backfilling commenced. Anticipation of the probable results of this piece of mischief somehow eased the monotony of the backfilling, and the miscreants mutually agreed that in about 200 years some archaeologists dig up the skull and conclude they had found something really worthwhile was that was that my writing or her writing it's a quote uh from a mr p that came into mckern's office this is uh this is in your story yes. it's a series of letters published in wisconsin archaeologist in 1964 
Yes. Yeah, go, but it has a funny conclusion to it, though. Chris, go ahead and, and tell us that one, because that's the kicker well, of the whole thing. Well, the conclusion is, is that the lead archaeologist, um, uh, I can't remember who it was, um, realized that this was embarrassing. Uh, and so he, he, he left it out of the final monograph. And the doyen of uh, Middle Woodland Archaeology came to his office and said, well, what's the deal? Or maybe, maybe did he talk to him in a, a meeting and said, you know, wh where's the horse head? Right. <laughs> so, so there's this story, you still get this story that there are Vikings in Wisconsin and that there's the evidence is a horse skull and Spencer Lake Mound. But... Which is my, my understanding of the whole horse skull thing was there was never anything to connect it to Vikings. They no. just, it was just like, oh, it's a horse head, it's a horse skull in a mound, therefore Vikings. It's like, yeah, but how did you get there? How did you, right. like, why didn't you just assume that the, whoever had horses? Because it's, <laughs> like, and then, like, the breed of the horse was looked at. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, well, right there, you were invaluable to me to helping to write that <laughs> article that I don't remember writing. Thank you, Chad. <laughs> the blog's been around a whole lot longer than the podcast. Oh, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I forget. You know, I, I joke that I forget as soon as I've as soon as I've written something, I move on to something else, and I totally forget everything I learned in the last article. So yeah, I, I I completely feel you there. I was going back over some of my older articles for a new project I'm working on, and I was just like, wow, I need to rewrite these badly. Oh yeah, absolutely, and it's really worthwhile because there's so much that goes on. You know, you can say that um, archaeology is dead a long time, but oh my God, we've done done so much research since the day that you know even leaving an article lying around like the dog domestication story you know every couple of years i have to refresh that yeah because somebody finds some new information so you do and go back and refresh your stories then oh absolutely oh, okay absolutely i won't feel bad because it, it would drive my it would drive me crazy not to <laughs> to have you know and i still have i mean i've got thousands of articles floating around so i'll run across one that shocks me every now and again what am what was i thinking right? But um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you. So, OK, so you admit that you get emails uh, and you admit that you, you don't particularly like engaging them. But so which I don't blame you for. <laughs> no, that's for real. Thank you for that. Yeah. Ken and I go back and forth on this one together because Ken's a lot more eager to, yeah, I'm not to interact all. with them than I am. And but at the same time, like some of them I try to interact with. And, you know, I just. My rule is don't start your conversation off by calling me names and threatening me because then I'm just going to delete your email. But I will at least read it. And I'm fascinated by these as cultural phenomenon. So I'm not looking to, you know, put up my uh, my Duke's, you know, sort of Queensberry rules style and, and, and do that. It's more like you come from a very strange place. Let's look at your history. See, I don't I don't <laughs> view it as. A f I try not to view it as a fight. I don't take things personally because I realize that I could be anyone on the internet saying these things and I, they, I would be attacked for it. And most of the time I'm not being attacked. I'm just being questioned and that's fine too. I like having the conversation because I am desperate to understand why people think and believe and take certain evidence over another type of evidence I want to understand the mechanisms behind all of that because that actually has helped me write a better blog because now instead of just saying, oh, these stupid people, which is kind of what I did in the beginning, um, now I'm, I'm understanding more of the, the, um, the mental process, I guess. And I'm not saying people are crazy because they're not. It's just it's interesting to see where the disconnect happens. Like you have rational person, rational person, rational person, then there's a disconnect and then they're irrational about a topic and you're just like, why, what is it about this topic that you can't be logical on? You know, you, you use the word mystery and I think that's part of it. I mean, if, if, uh, I think that's a really interesting way to hear. I'm glad you said that. I'm glad that I said that because that's, that it does make it interesting to me because it is a mystery. It is each of those people who come to you are, have their own mysteries. You know, like we were, we were speaking of the gentleman who had written um, a fantasy about mounds in Iowa right. in the break. And that gentleman was re clearly reworking his experiences in World War II. You know what I mean? So there's like this mystery. Why is it that you need to believe that this is the way it works? Well, that's the, your reality. That's my reality. Exactly. The way 
you know, my reality is this and I need to make sure that it's got some backup, some support that I'm not the only one in the world who ever felt that way. I'm, you know, I mean, if, if, if you're Pollyanna, which I kind of tend to be Pollyanna, um, that's kind of, it's kind I think it's true. I think it's really true that each of us tries to find support for our way of thinking life, the way we, I don't, I don't know. I, no, you know, I, I feel, where, I, I see where you're going there because I, yeah, people are trying to make their own reality and we all need that to a certain degree. And that's why when you were talking earlier, like you just don't like having the arguments with some of these people because you can't get through them. And those people I refer to as true believers and it, it doesn't matter what they believe in. They're true believers of it. You're not yeah. going to change their mind, but there is some merit to be had, especially having it um publicly like in a comment section to a certain point because there's i i just envision that there's like this school ground fight going on and it's you and whoever you're arguing with and you're in the center and you've got all these people surrounding you and mm -hmm. they're watching you have an argument with somebody and they're watching that person have an argument with you and they're going to decide who has the better argument and they they don't necessarily know where they fit in that argument like they don't know what side of the fence they're on and so i always try to put forward i hope i always try to put forward a rational logical argument regardless of who i'm arguing with because i want people to read that and say ah this is the more rational concepts these are the more rational ideas this is the better idea to go with you know mm -hmm. I, I always default to facts and evidence and i hope people understand that that's the better way to do that because i said so I probably default from that is I think I probably default from that. I think I'm glad that you can use I, I, I'm glad that you're doing this. I really I seriously, seriously am because, you. you know, and and I'm glad that you're finding my stuff as uh, support for that. But I think I default from those arguments. I think I just say, well, here's what archaeologists have found. Um, I don't want to argue about it. <laughs> like, and that, you know, that's useful. Here's, though. here's our story. This is our story. You go tell yours someplace else. But the, you know I think I think the I think the place where they they have to intertwine is it's one thing if like oh you tell your story somewhere else except if they're literally standing next to you with a megaphone acting like a yeah. carnival bark and saying we're archaeology those people over there are hiding giants in a museum don't listen to them. Yeah, that's the new one going out now too. So did you know that the Smithsonian apparently has admitted to destroying all of their giant skeletons back in the nineteen hundreds? <laughs> and I use that just as an as as an example, but uh, that I literally I think, hit my feed today. Yeah, that, oh, but that's no. that's the, uh, the for for me in order to tell our stories, I think we have to yeah. at least to some degree engage with these other ones, which are quite popular and which basically are a carnival barker with a megaphone. I I no, and totally you're right. I admire you for being at the, you guys are at the front at the front edge of this. I'm very very proud of you. I mean, that sounds obnoxious. I am proud <laughs> that you are doing this because Thanks, mom. <laughs> I whine. I just don't do it. I'm glad I can help, but I'm glad I don't have to battle with you. See, but I I'm I'm a big advocate for people to blog, Deb, because I I don't feel like everybody has to go out with their boxing gloves on and be like, come at me, fringe. But having other blogs that I can send people to that aren't necessarily let me explain to you why you're wrong blogs like mine is, but where you they can just go and just be like, this is, these are the facts. This is what archaeology has to present. We have these. This evidence is this. And the reason we know this evidence is right is because of this. Having sites like that that aren't Wikipedia, nothing against Wikipedia, well, okay, a lot against Wikipedia, but well, I need well, something actually, other than Wikipedia to send people to. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. Um, actually, I mean, I have to say, when I, Wikipedia came off, I thought we were going to be dead. I thought, you know, a free, a free model, which crowdsourced. I mean, you would, we would never have said crowdsourced back in the day, but <laughs> nonetheless, crowdsourced data. And actually, a lot of the... Um, at least Mesoamerican stuff was written by archaeologists in Wikipedia, or at least was in the, was ten years ago. I don't know today. I don't know. Uh, most most of the material, not everything. I've seen some eh bits. Um, it's generally all right. I don't think it's necessarily written by Mesoamericans, but it's not like I go in and go, "Oh my God, what is this?" I know it's harder to edit Wikipedia now in general. Uh, like you can't well, just throw shit in Wikipedia anymore. 
on a, yeah. on a personal a personal thing, I used to love the shit that was on Wikipedia. <laughs> I used to love to go there and get dirt on, you know, whatever. You know, go find out what's the latest gossip about such and so. <laughs> and, it, and it's all cleaned up now. Yeah. So, so you know, Wikipedia is, is vastly improved since it got started, for sure. It's not the free and wild stuff that it is. It's definitely like, but, I, you know, even if my traffic dwindles to like zip, I'm still going to write. It's not like I can stop. It's this obsession. <laughs> well, it's like there's a difference between like an open source crowd sharing thing like Wikipedia and a site that is specifically set up to be an educational site. And I think like when you go to when you go to Chris's about page, it actually says about education because it's part of an um, it's it's under the umbrella of about education section. And mm -hmm. the important difference there and there are other websites like this we're just talking about about because Chris writes for them. The important difference here is is the focus on educating and educating via facts, evidence, logic, and that. Whereas Wikipedia, as as much as it has cleaned up its act, and you do technically have to cite sources and they have to be from X places and you can't use primaries because reasons, but it's still not an education site. You can learn things from it, but it is not set up to be an education site, which is why you really shouldn't use it as a citation in like scholarly papers. Right. Sorry, I was ranting. No, no, good rant. Ah. Good, interesting rant. But well, I tell my I tell my students it's no different than why you can't cite any other encyclopedia, and at that point, I have to explain what an encyclopedia is. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, I don't even know what one is. So. Oh well, fair enough. Okay. There are people who still do and who don't understand why they can't quote encyclopedias anymore. It's like I, also have to, I also have to explain what the Soviet Union was. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know. What a book is. Uh, no, yeah, sorry. Well, that's a, that's a different discussion. So, Chris, are there any final thoughts you want to share with us before we sign off here? Um, I just wanted to, I, maybe I already said this, but I wanted to how much I appreciate, you know, I've done uh, over the last year, I've done some exploration with um, into the internet, into the different blogs that are going on and how much, and you know, like I said, I wasn't aware of your podcast until recently. And I just want to say how much I appreciate this, how much I appreciate archeologists who are actually out there talking about things, you know, even if they have like hardly any traffic whatsoever, and yet they're writing really wonderful, funny stuff, um, it doesn't have to be funny, but, you know, yeah. wonderful, approachable ways, entrances into archaeology. And I'm so, so grateful for that. Well, it's no, just... and I definitely I definitely think there's a lot more uh, people are, are, you know, absolutely putting out more, whether it is in their Twitter feed or in their because uh, I see a lot of archaeology. I mean, a lot of my Twitter feed is archaeologists and public archaeologists uh, in blogs, in podcasts. And of course, looking at something like, I mean, I remember when I was doing all sorts of research and early teaching and all of that, you know, like, oh, look, this was the place to go. Like, I remember About.com's archaeology, which you put together, being the first place online I had seen, other than the occasional, like, hidden cubbyhole of, like, some professor's, like, you know, documents they'd put on somewhere, being the first designed, oh, this is a place where you can look stuff up online about archaeology that's not going to be utter garbage. That's going to be good and going to be useful. And I would look at many of the things that you're citing as, as wonderful as like, well, but these are following in that model. You know, the funny thing is the very first website I ever saw back in the day was <laughs> on Lesko Cave. Wow. I don't it think was, I can even link to that anymore. It was mind blowing. It was mind blowing to be able to sit in, you know, my hometown, in my office, in Iowa and look at pictures of Lesko was just phenomenal for me. I just I, can't, I, I absolutely still have those moments. I mean the one the one I love is I put together like a huge Google Earth KMZ file, a map file that I mm -hmm. give my students of all the sites, the several hundred sites we're gonna talk about during the semester. I mean and I've put some work into it. So like they are down to the point. It's not like, oh it's somewhere around it's like no 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 no. It's here. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's like a field. But a lot of times it's not. And 
the fact that I can kind of give that to somebody or, you know, there's the Maya GIS uh, site where they literally have all the Maya sites. This came up with, you know, the, uh, the recent uh, We're not talking about of, him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but, well, that was actually some of the data he used. That was actually some of the data he used was that. And the fact yeah. that that exists is absolutely astonishing. Well, that I can just whistle that up is amazing. So yeah. before we before we sign off, I, I have to ask this because we we've kind of brought it up as we've gone. But to how amazing is it to you, Chris, that we've you've been you and I have been on the internet since the internet was the internet, uh -huh. and you have been using the internet, like utilizing it as a tool, and creating for right it. and creating content for the internet for twenty years now. And to move from, you know, HTML and gophers all the way up oh, wow. to, right, all the way up to, like, Twitter. And Sna I just got told the other day I need to have a Snapchat uh, for Archie Fantasies. I'm like, I don't even know what I would do with a Snapchat with archaeology <laughs> for Archie Fantasies. But, by the way, we have one. Um, yeah. we had, there's nothing on it yet, but whatever. Um, but to move from pages, just pages that take, like, 20 minutes to load all the way up to Twitter where it's 160 characters and you have to put a complete thought in there and people do it by the millions every minute. How amazing is that? It is you? amazing. It, it is. It's, it is astounding. It's uh, when I think about, because when I think about when I got started, it, it was all HTML and we did have to like forcibly upload uh, information. And <laughs> uh, it does range. seem, it was so so much harder than it is today it does seem it does seem um i want to use the word miraculous but of course nothing is a miracle <laughs> Sweat and as tears, we know. Man. As we no know. and like we've been hearing somebody had to build it and you know you you built about.com's archaeology section it didn't just pop out of nowhere right yeah, there you go there you go so i just i i'm glad that we were able to talk to you and i'm glad that you're someone who has like the with itness to be with the internet for that long <laughs> well thank you thank you i'm um i'm thrilled to still be here i'm uh, <laughs> amazed i'm amazed that my obsession continues to feed me often enough that i can do this and i'm glad i'm really glad that you guys find it useful i i can't tell you how much that i appreciate that so well chris thank you very much for being on the yes. show with us this thank has you. been an excellent interview thank you it was fun trials yeah. as one will call no, we don't do a dinosaur. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Our music was provided by Archeosuit Productions. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher and share us wherever you use social media. You can contact us with your questions, comments, or angry email at archiefantasies at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. You can follow the blog at www.archiefantasies.com and get updates on Tumblr and Twitter at Archiefantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash Archiefantasies. Thanks again for listening. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.